reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I, forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all. God has answered my prayer. I have a Bible, but I must be careful. They found my Bible, but I would not give up. I will bring in more Bibles. God's word every chance I get. Then the letters came. Letters from me. Letters from Christians all over the world. God not only answered my prayer for a Bible, He let me know I am not forgotten. แล้วก็ขอบคุณพระเจ้าขอบคุณอนาพี่น้องทั่วโลกที่อธิษฐานอ่อนวอนเพื่อโอ้แล้วก็มู่คู่ที่น้องจะตะคุกแล้วก็
by the blood of Christ and by the word of our testimony. Today I'm going to share testimony of many of our brothers and sisters, mainly in the Eastern Hemisphere, uh, because they seem to get more press than those in the Western Hemisphere. But I want to thank you for the opportunity to sharing with you on the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And uh, I want to apologize to Keith and Liz. I've sent them five different copies of my uh, PowerPoint presentation every time I thought I've completed it. And then I would check the news for the day, and every day it seemed like there was uh, evidence of more persecution going on just this week. And I want to share with you uh, some of those testimonies. So if we could get the first slide up there, you notice in the upper left-hand corner, there is... A, well, Back up one, please. We've got a photograph of uh, the Charles Wesco family. Now, Charles Wesco uh, from Indiana had felt God calling him to missions as a 15-year-old, and it took him more than 20 years before he was able to, to reach the, uh, the mission field. On October the 18th, he arrived with his family of 10. And uh, on uh, October the 30th, he was riding in a shotgun position in the car with his wife and his Charles Jr. sitting in the back seat. Uh, if I, we can get the picture for you later, I'll, I'll show it to you. But uh, they were riding to uh, a neighboring village to buy supplies to set up housekeeping. And a shot rang out uh, that pierced the, uh, the window besides Charles and hit him in the head. And by the time they got him to the hospital... Charles was dead. So he is the, the most recent. You see the photograph of his family up in the, the upper left-hand corner. So we think that the persecuted church is, is far from us. And we don't have to worry about that. But uh, there are more martyrs for Christ in the last 100 years than in the previous 1900 years put together. And the persecution uh, is coming our direction. It's, it's heading here to the United States. And uh, many of our missionaries are facing that as they go overseas to serve the Lord there. And so I want to, uh, to give you an opportunity to pray for us. And at the, at the end of my sermon, I'm going to have a time of prayer where we're going to pray for some, uh, some Christians who are being persecuted. But I'm uh, taking our text from... 2 Corinthians 11:23, uh, where and the title of my message today is "Suffering for Christ." But in in verse 23, speaking of the persecuted church, Paul asks, "Are they servants of Christ?" And then, uh, as an editorial note to to the readers, he says, "I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more so. I have worked much harder." Now, Paul, everywhere he went, he was in trouble. You see a uh, see, the, he would be in trouble with uh, the civil authorities, with the, the religious authorities there, and they would say, we don't want you to proclaim the gospel of Christ. We want to shut you down. We want to silence you. Um, and the right side there says that recently Isaacs has abducted 150 Christians and paraded them in their cages. And uh, some of them were even burned to death. So this is something that is going on in our world today. But Paul is basically, he's the, the uh, 
the prototype for the persecuted Christians around the world. And his testimony here in 2 Corinthians 11 uh, is a, a kind of an accumulation of all the different persecution that is going on in our world today. Uh, let me call to your attention Pastor Yusef Nadar Khan, who is a a Muslim backbound believer, which means that uh, he grew up Muslim, but he put his faith in Jesus as his Messiah and became a pastor in Iran and has been uh, arrested multiple times. And they keep telling him, quit preaching the gospel, quit, quit uh, starting churches, and they will release him. And then he will go out and he will start another church or he'll evangelize someone else. Uh, and they re-arrest him here. And this is common in the Muslim world today. So when we pray later today, I'm going to ask that you remember the name of Yusuf Nadar Khan and that you would pray that God would protect him in prison and allow him to be the bold witness that he needs to be. But Paul's testimony, verse 23, he says, I have been in prisons more frequent. Now, Paul was always getting in trouble so we could go to the next slide there. Uh, you see a, a picture of Paul being uh, beat. Uh, he's, he's in stripes above measure. He says, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now being beaten with rods was the Roman way of uh, disciplining those that they were having problem with. So he was caned three times by Roman soldiers, but five different times the Jews had him beaten. Now they had a, a rule they could only give 40 stripes to a, a person because after that there was a chance that he was going to die from the, the loss of blood. But uh, Jews were always uh, legalistic and they said, what if we miscount and we accidentally give him 41? And so they would always stop at 39 stripes. And uh, they would do 13 stripes on his left shoulder, 13 stripes on his right shoulder, 13 stripes on his chest. Five times Paul went through that. And uh, Pastor Nader Khan in prison in Iran is also going through these types of beatings, uh, which is a very frequent and very common for Christians who are arrested in the Muslim world. And then he says, in prisons more frequent. Uh, Revelation 2.10 is a word of prophecy, I believe. This was written to the church at Smyrna, which is in Turkey. It says, Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Now, ten days in, in biblical language means a long time or a complete period of time. Two years ago, Pastor Andrew Brunson, who was pastoring a church in the city of Smyrna in Turkey, well, that, today they call it Izmir, they replaced the, the last syllable and they put an I on the front of it to make it Izmir, but it's the Smyrna. And he was the fulfillment of this prophecy. He was arrested two years ago and accused of being an American spy and of trying to overthrow the government there. Well, our government, our, our present administration has continually spoken up for Pastor Andrew Brunson and they have uh, decided that they are going to put sanctions on the Turkish government 
And this last uh, October 30th, he was released from prison and he was flown back to Washington, D.C., where he met with President Trump. Uh, I saw a video this morning online where he was interviewed and, and he had an opportunity to pray for President Trump there. And God had, had spared him. And uh, he said, we still have the call of God in our lives. We still have to be involved in missions to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you have been praying for and, uh, Andrew Brunson, and I thank you for that. So he is presently safe here in the United States. And we're going to find out that there are some other people who are not as fortunate uh, as Andrew there. But thank you for praying for him. And then Paul says, I've had many death-defying experiences. Uh, when he first became a Christian, he, went to, he was at Damascus, and they tried to kill him, and they had to lay, uh, lower him over the walls there to escape prison, uh, to, to, to escape uh, perhaps even death there. But he had near-death experiences in uh, Iconium, in Thessalonica, in Berea, and especially in Lystra, where they stoned him and left him for dead. And we look at uh, Acts 14, 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking that he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Now, how many of you are that persistent? Uh, persistency is one of my many qualities, uh, but I don't know that I would have that persistence. They thought he was dead, and he got up and he went back because he hadn't finished the work that God called him to do. Who does that remind you of? In Acts chapter 2, it uh, tells us the story of another martyr, the first Christian martyr, whose name was Stephen. It says, the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God. Stephen was praying and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, who was it that they were laying their, their robes down and their coats down so that they would have the freedom of, of motion to throw these stones at? It was at a young man named Saul who later went to Damascus and was converted there and became the missionary to the Gentiles that we know as Paul. He had many death-defying experiences, but that's not uh, uncommon in our world today. And I want to talk to you about some of my co-workers. Uh, while I was in Uzbekistan, I, I had a, a co-worker whose name, uh, this is going to be on a podcast, by the way, and so some of the names I'm not going to share because I don't want to endanger these people getting out over the internet. But he had a, a biblical name, uh, he was serving in Afghanistan, and he had a, a bounty put on his head of $10,000, dead or alive. You remember the days of, of the Old West where they would put the, the wanted dead or alive poster up. Well, he had to leave with his family to protect them. But in 1997, uh, a group of 27 South Korean missionaries were in Uzbekistan, uh, excuse me, in Afghanistan, and... Uh, they were captured by the Taliban, and the Korean government had to come in and ransom them. But what really hit home with me was one of my co-workers, 50-year-old Sid Mizell, had been one of our office workers at our mission 
uh, agency, and at the age of 50, she decided she was going to go to Afghanistan and work with the women there who could not be educated in the system there. And she had a driver that would take her out into the villages to train these women. And in January 27th of uh, 2008, she disappeared along with her driver and has never been heard of uh, from since. And so it is dangerous for Christians to be involved in, the, in proclaiming the word of God and, and helping to, to change the, uh, the societies where they are living at. Uh, but it gets even closer than that. Uh, I had, uh, there were two teams that worked together. Uh, I worked with the team of eight Korean-American uh, couples in Uzbekistan, but we also had a team of Korean-Americans working with uh, North Koreans directly, but they couldn't live in North Korea at that time. Uh, one of them was living in the city of Habarovsk, north, uh, which was in the far eastern part of Russia, and uh, they hadn't been heard, of, heard from by their supervisor, and so he went, the supervisor had a key, and he, he went to their apartment, found it locked, and he opened the door and he walked in, and they had been assassinated in the style that is commonly used by North Korean agents. So they had been tracked from North Korea into the far eastern part of Russia and assassinated because of the work that they were doing with North Koreans. Well, there was another Korean-American couple who was also targeting the North Koreans living in China, but they were being tracked throughout China, and so they came to to Tashkent and joined my team for about six months. But after, after six months, they realized that they had had a, an emotional breakdown because of the danger, and they had to leave the mission field and, and come back to the United States. So Paul was, not, Paul was the prototypical uh, Christian who was being persecuted, but today that is happening in many different places. 1 Corinthians 4.11 says, We go hungry and thirsty, we are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. Oh, well, that uh, goes along with uh, 2 Corinthians 11:29, where he says, I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Now, the team that was targeting North Korea, uh, this was in the, the early to mid-1990s when the assassination took place. And there was a great uh, famine going on in North Korea at that time. Over three million North Koreans died during this three-year period of, of famines there. And the, the North Koreans were eating bark and leaves off of the trees just to try to survive the famine there. Uh, to this day, 40% of the people in North Korea are undernourished. In fact, the average... North Korean male is about three inches shorter than the South Korean male. And so when you go to the demilitarized zone, uh, they always, South Korea always sends their tallest soldiers up there. You have to be six foot tall or, or over in order to work on the demilitarized zone. And when they stand up next to the North Korean soldiers, you can see the disparity, uh, how short they are because they are undernourished. Kind of, I almost uh, posted a picture of some of the starving North Korean children there. You've seen the uh, Save the Children commercials on television where you can see the ribs there and see the, the result of the 
malnourishment there. But I thought this photo might not be as graphic, but probably uh, gets the point across more. He says, every two and a half minutes, a North Korean dies of starvation. And today they are in, in uh, famine again. And so when we pray for North Korea, we need to pray that God would supply what they need, their physical needs, so that they can eat. Well, Paul said, in my many travels, I have been in danger. I've been in three shipwrecks, and once I spent 24 hours in the water. Now, he wrote this before he was sent to Rome for the last time, before he was shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And so that makes four times that uh, Paul was, was shipwrecked. And this happens some, sometimes. Uh, when I went to Korea, I was introduced to Elmer Kilbourne, who was a second-generation missionary. He had been born in Pyongyang, North Korea, went to school there, and then when the Korean War uh, started up, his family had to flee to South Korea. Uh, and I got to know him. I was his tennis partner, uh, and uh, sometimes a boating partner, because we had a, a beach cabin on the, what is, Americans know is the China, the East China Sea, and I would go out sailing. The dumbest thing I've ever done in my life is take my rickety 12-foot-long sunfish sailboat out when a typhoon was approaching. But it was the most fun I've ever had in my life, too. <laughs> well, Elmer Kilburn had a, a motorboat, and he would go out to the islands and minister to the fishermen there. And one time he was out in his boat, and a typhoon hit, and no one heard from him for a week. They sent out the National Guard uh, and uh, the Kunsan Air Force Base was nearby. They sent out their helicopters. No sign of Elmer could be found. And then finally he washed up on one of these uh, islands that had a few fishermen on it, and they nursed him back to health, and they provided transportation back to the mainland. And he walked into one of his churches in the middle of his funeral. When we came to uh, Colorado Springs, we rented a house that uh, had been built or bought with the life insurance money of one of my friends that we were in missionary training. Uh, he was ministering in the Philippines and was at the airport when one of the uh, Muslim jihadist organizations set off a bomb, and he was killed in that airport bombing there. Uh, but because of the, uh, the sensitivity of this this message going on the internet, I cannot give his name. But I have another, another example that can be. This last week in the Springs was the world premiere of the movie The Least of These, starring Stephen Baldwin. And it was a story about Graham Staines, who was a, an Australian missionary in India. He was working with lepers, and so he was always going out into the the countryside and spending the night and he would show film, the Jesus film in a community there and minister. And he took his, his two sons with him on one trip. Um, Timothy was age seven, Philip was age nine. They had a Jeep uh, station wagon and so after they had showed the film there, they retired to sleep inside of the Jeep station wagon and the villagers, uh, the Hindu villagers came and while they were sleeping, doused their 
jeep with uh, gasoline and set them on fire and burned all three of them. Now this had an, a particular effect on me because at the time I was the strategy coordinator for the 150 million Muslims in northern India. And this happened right in the midst of when I was getting Korean missionaries involved in India there. And so he used his example. Many people responded to the call to missions in India because of Graham Staines and his two sons giving up their life in order to proclaim the gospel to the lepers of India. And then Paul says, well, in Acts 27.10, Paul says to the, uh, the captain and the soldiers on the ship that were taking him to Rome for his, his last days of imprisonment, he said, Men, I see that our voyage from here on will be dangerous. There will be great damage to the cargo and to the ship and loss of life as well. But they took a vote and the soldiers said, no, we want to get to Rome as soon as possible so we can start our TDY. And uh, the captain says, well, I don't really want to, to spend the winter in this little uh, haven here on the island that we're at, so we'll take it. And so they took off and they hit uh, a typhoon. I don't know if they call them typhoons in the Mediterranean. But they hit a storm and they began throwing all their cargo out trying to lighten it so that they would not run aground, but they did. And this is when Paul said, I spent 24 hours in the deep. Uh, they had to, to grab a hold of the wood that had broken off of their, their ships and try to paddle down, kind of like being on a surfboard, I guess, trying to paddle to the nearest island. And uh, God, God spared Paul because he still had work for him to do, and he wanted him to get to Rome so that he could use him. Well, these are physical sufferings that Christians go through uh, because of their faith in Christ. But there are also spiritual sufferings for Christ. Matthew 5.10, you can, I'm going to ask you to read it together. You see it on the left there. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 5.10. Some of you are aware that... Uh, they're the Muslim extremist group Boko Haram is uh, active in Africa and have uh, actually kidnapped. They've gone to Christian schools and they've kidnapped uh, young girls and taken them to be their wives. Uh, most of them have uh, been set free, but they are pregnant when they are set free, so they come back. In uh, 2014, April 12th, 276 Nigerian girls were kidnapped, but most of them have been returned. And then again this year, uh, another 110 girls were kidnapped uh, last winter, and all of them but one has been set free. 15-year-old Leah Sherabu uh, was not set free because she would not give up her faith in Christ. Her father, Nathan Sherabu, says, My daughter is alive but they would not release her because she is a Christian. They told her they would release her if she converted to Islam, and she said she will never become a Muslim. I am very sad, but I am also overjoyed because my daughter did not denounce Christ. You remember Paul's testimony in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 8, and he says, I was given a thorn in the flesh, 
a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. And then in uh, chapter 11, verse 27, Paul says, I am in weariness and toil. I am in sleeplessness often. We really don't know what Paul's thorn was, and it really doesn't matter because he said the purpose was to keep me dependent upon Christ, to, to confess that I am helpless, that I can do nothing in my own strength. And your brothers and sisters, regardless of how difficult it is for them to live a Christian life, they are learning this lesson much better than we are here in the United States. We, we don't like to confess our helplessness and our weakness. We like to boast in, in our, our strengths and use what, uh, what strengths God has given to us uh, for God's glory. But he says, I need the glory in my weakness because Christ is the one. Well, what kind of uh, spiritual sufferings did they do? Paul had emotional hardships uh, protecting uh, his disciples and the churches that he started. He had to work all day long making tents so that he would not have to charge the the Christians at the church that he established uh, to, to pay his rent or to buy his food or whatever it was. He said, I don't want to be dependent on other people. I want to be free to follow God's leadership uh, regardless of uh, how hard I have to work to, to make a living here. Well, I want to call your attention to another Muslim background believer. Uh, he's in a, in a <clears throat> excuse me, Iranian man, uh, became a Christian in 2000 and he began uh, proclaiming the gospel in Iran and uh, actually helped to start 100 underground churches there. And so he was arrested and uh, they told him, you may not proclaim the gospel, you may not start churches, but you can do humanitarian aid work. And he became a, uh, an American citizen and so he uh, started working with orphanages there. But he was arrested again while he was in country working with orphanages in Iran. And he was sent to prison. And uh, this is another one that our administration got involved with. It says, we want you to release this American citizen because he has done nothing wrong. They accused him of being a spy. They accused him of being anti-state. Uh, but he has been set free and returned to the United States. His name is Saeed Abedini, but right after he returned to the States, his marriage fell apart and they, they have divorced. Because he said, I became a different person from my years of prison in Iran. When I got back to my wife, I was not the same person and we could not uh, live together as husband and wife. This is one of the, the uh, prices that he had to pay to serve God and to, uh, to pay the ultimate. Then if we can look at... Uh, Tertullian was one of the early church leaders and he said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Uh, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul says, In perils, 
of my own countrymen and perils of Gentiles and perils in the city and perils among false brethren. Wherever Paul went, he was in peril because he rocked the boat and uh, people didn't like what he was doing because he was showing them up. And so they would always come and uh, the authorities would, would oppose him and try to stop him. You remember Stephen uh, in Acts chapter 2. It says, Stephen was being full of the Holy Spirit and he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they, these are the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And those who were throwing the stones laid their coats at the feet of who? Saul, who later became Paul the Apostle to the missionaries whose testimony we are reading today. This is... Uh, it's dangerous to be Christian in our world today. It's not as dangerous in the United States today, but it is becoming more difficult. And uh, it is an issue that we need to pray that God would return us to our roots before we have to pay the, the price that these Christians around the world are having to pray. Are having to pay. Um, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you believe that? Can we look at the next? There we go. 2 Timothy 3.12 You are going to be persecuted if you live a Christian life. Now on the left side you see a cross uh, with rocks coming at it which reminds you of, of Stephen and Paul. But uh, down below there are name tags of different uh, countries in our world who are persecuting Christians today. Uh, for example, Saudi Arabia, it is illegal even for foreigners to gather together for a, a Christian worship service or even a Bible study in a home. And it is certainly illegal for a foreigner or a native a, a citizen to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they are penalized with the death penalty. And there are many uh, Christians, especially from the Philippines, who are working in Saudi Arabia uh, and are trying to evangelize those that they work with that are being executed for their faith. But I want to uh, especially talk about one person in particular. Uh, Asha Bibi is a, a Muslim, I'm sorry, uh, a Pakistani Christian who has been on death row for eight years. Uh, she, she worked making bricks and one day she was thirsty and she went to the, the common drinking hole there with a cup and uh, filled her cup up uh, to drink uh, water. But that contaminated the whole water supply for all of her co-workers. And so she was arrested uh, for contaminating their water supply just by taking a drink. And uh, she was uh, accused of blasphemy. And of course in Pakistan... Pakistan is a, a Muslim country that executes those who are convicted of blasphemy. Last Saturday, her 
her lawyer, her defense lawyer, left the country, left Pakistan because he had, his life had been threatened many times. And he says, I've got to get out of here or I'm going to die. Well, this last, uh, what was it, the 30th, this week, the Supreme Court declared her not guilty. And they said, she can go. And you can see, I had a different photo of her uh, when I first made this. It said, pray for uh, Asia, Asha Bibi. And then I saw on the internet uh, on Halloween, she had been released. Well, I've done some further research than that. She has not been released. She has been declared not guilty, and she is in protective custody right now, but the government has placed her on the exit control list, which means she cannot fly out of the country. And now uh, tens of thousands of people have signed a petition saying, we want you to retry her. Uh, they've, they've even uh, threatened the lives of the, the justices on their Supreme Court. And so they're taking it out of the hands of these justices and they're saying, we want you to send her back to court, much of like what is happening with Jack Phillip, the baker in Denver, who, who was declared not guilty by the, the Supreme Court in Colorado, but now the, the uh, government is trying to send him back to, to try him again. And so she, nobody really, well, it's not common knowledge where Asha Bibi is because if it gets out, she's going to be killed and her family with, she has five children. She hadn't seen them in nine years. Uh, so we are going to uh, pray for Asha Bibi. And I'm going to ask Don McCurry if he would lead us in a prayer for Asha Bibi. And then after that, we are going to, to have a time of, of prayer for some other Christians in other parts of the world before we take of our communion. So, Don, would you lead us in our prayer for Asha Bibi, please? Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, brave woman who has kept her faith and who never thought she would uh, be alive this long. We pray for the suffering of her husband and the five children and Lord, we thank you for um, our Christian friends there who have ministered, who are praying, and we join our prayers to, their, to theirs for Asha Bibi. And we ask, O oh Lord, um, that you would administer justice in all the fairness of the law. We pray that you would overturn the screaming and shouting of those people who have this bloodlust for killing and uh, assassinating people. We also pray for uh, many of our Christian friends who are in trouble, especially the nurses. Uh, they are targeted and uh, many are abused. And we ask, oh God, that you would help and rescue them we pray for our institutions also that are in danger of being assaulted with the staff being killed. We thank you that you have focused the world uh, on this lady's plight and we pray that she will be uh, spirited out of that country and given a uh, reunion with her family and that she will uh, lead a new life uh, by the grace of God. Lord, have mercy on her 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Don. I appreciate that. If you would take your bulletin insert, it says 10 ways to pray. <clears throat> and I'm going to encourage you to, to take this and not just pray today because it's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, but to pray regularly for the, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who do not have the blessing of freedom of religion like we have here in the United States. But uh, <clears throat> you might want to write some notes here because we've got some specific requests. So if we could see the next slide here. Throughout the world, 322 Christians are killed each month for their faith. Now, I read this morning that yesterday, <clears throat> two busloads of Coptic Christians in Egypt were on their way to a, a pilgrimage site, and uh, they, were, uh, they were ambushed, and uh, seven of them were killed, 16 were wounded. And so we're going to talk about uh, Egyptian Christians in a little bit, but we need to remember that wherever uh, the gospel is proclaimed, that people take their lives in their hands when they stand up for it. So I'm going to ask that you just take a moment to silently prayer, pray for our brothers and sisters around the world and for those who are grieving because their loved ones have been killed because of their faith in Christ. Just take a moment to pray for them, please. gives us another uh, opportunity to pray. Every month, 214 Christian churches and properties are destroyed, especially in Indonesia. Uh, churches, buildings are being uh, destroyed on a regular basis. So let's pray for the, the, the Christians uh, to be faithful to their church. A church is not a building. A church is the people. So even though the buildings are destroyed, their faith is not destroyed. But let's pray that God would protect uh, these churches and allow them to have a, a witness in their community. Just silently pray for a moment, please. Our next slide gives us another opportunity. ISIS in 2014 issued an ultimatum to Christians throughout <clears throat> Iraq living in Mosul. Now Mosul, what, what's the biblical name for Mosul? Nineveh. Nineveh. Okay, you've heard the story of Nineveh. And Jonah went to Nineveh and proclaimed the gospel. He says, God is going to destroy this city unless you repent. And they did. Well, there have been Christians in Nineveh or Mosul for the last 2,000 years, but uh, about 70% of them have fled from Iraq because of the perse persecution going on. But they threatened the Christians. They said, by Saturday of noon, you must either convert to Islam, pay a fine, or face death by the sword. Well, most of them chose a fourth option, and that was to leave Iraq, and they became refugees. So, uh, if you would take a moment to pray for the Christians still in Iraq, but also for the Christian refugees who have fled for their lives. And then our next slide 
tells us that we need to pray for those in Uzbekistan. And I, I have more stories to tell you, but I don't have time to tell that. Uh, uh, I'll have to do that in another time. But Christians are being persecuted and fined for holding unauthorized religious meetings. And I have personal experience in this. So this is not only in Uzbekistan, but uh, throughout the Muslim world, throughout the communist world. Uh, people are endangering their lives by gathering together, in the, even in the homes, to pray and to study the Bible. So pray for those uh, in the, the, the world that are being persecuted for gathering together with other Christians. And then we have one more. While Miriam Ibrahim was held in a Sudanese prison, she was shackled to the wall. Her 18-month-old son was imprisoned with her. And then when she was pregnant at the time and when it came time for the baby to be born, they did not unshackle her. She had to give birth with her legs shackled to, to the wall there. So it is a very difficult experience, especially for the women when they are imprisoned. Let's pray for the, the women in our world who are going through persecution because of their faith and that they will be strong and maintain that faith in Christ. <clears throat> and then I want us to pray for Egyptian Christians. Uh, you remember <clears throat> last year, 21 Coptic Egyptian Christians were captured and uh, they were led to the beach in Libya and they were beheaded there because of their faith. And one of them was not a Christian. And he said he witnessed the faith of the others and then before Matthew Ayag's head was removed by an ISIS executioner, he was commanded to follow Islam. Matthew refused. He was then told to deny, denounce Christ. His response is priceless. Would you read his response together with me, please? Their God is my God. Christians in Egypt, God's people in Egypt, have always had difficulty. And uh, <clears throat> I want to, to call attention to the Bible's teaching about the children of Israel when they were slaves in Egypt. In uh, <clears throat> Let's go on to the next slide. Exodus 1.1 Egyptians appointed taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to, spread the is to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly. You remember the story. For over 400 years, the people of Israel were in Israel. Egypt <clears throat> and finally God raised up Moses and he went to Pharaoh and he says let my people go and he said I won't do it and ten plagues followed and then finally Pharaoh says yes I will let them go and so it was time for them to flee Egypt for their lives because Pharaoh's army was going to be close on their heels and so they had to to prepared for their flight, and they became refugees for a while. And I want you, as we are taking the communion today, I want you to think about the children of Israel 
and their experience as slaves in Egypt and how they were fleeing for their lives, how they were persecuted. Exodus 12:21, Moses summoned all the elders of Israel. Well, I'm going to summon the elders of Little Chapel of the Hill, so if I could get our our four elders that are here with us today to come down and they are going to be distributing the elements for our communion service. But as they do, uh, as they come forward here, I'm going to ask that uh, you keep, keep the uh, Israelites in uh, mind as you are partaking of the communion service. Can you bring the table down this in the center here? Though? Moses said, <clears throat> Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood of the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorways. None of you shall go out of the door until the morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and he will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. Now the communion service is a reenactment of the Passover. And so the, the elders were told to teach the people to get ready for fleeing for their lives and to prepare the Passover meal. So as they are distributing the elements here, I'm going to uh, continue reading from Exodus 12, verse 11. And uh, when you get the, the bread and the fruit of the vine, please don't, take, don't imbibe it Yes, Wait until everybody has, has gotten it and uh, we will do it together at the end of our scripture reading here. He said, this is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day that you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Exodus 12:27 says, Tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and who spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. Exodus 12.39 With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast, because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now, why do we take unleavened bread in our communion service? 
The people of Israel were fleeing for their lives. They were refugees. Uh, Pharaoh had uh, tens of thousands of soldiers uh, driving their chariots and riding their horses hot on their trail, trying to, to keep them from escaping the slavery and the persecution that they had been going through in Egypt. And he says, you're not going to have time to knead your bread, put the yeast in it and let it rise and then bake and make a, a nice pretty loaf of bread here. You are going to have to do it on the run. And I can imagine them as they would gather <clears throat> sticks in the desert and there's not much firewood in the desert. I, I grew up in the desert. I know that. But they would gather sticks and they would build a fire just enough to bake these flat uh, <clears throat> loaves of bread that had no leaven in them. And he said, you're going to have to do this in a hurry because your lives are at stake. And so when we are going to be partaking of the bread, I want you to remember the people of Israel and what they went through and how they were risking in their lives to follow. So if I could get the elders. Well, one of them disappeared here. Okay. Remember the people of Israel. Jesus, when he gathered together with his disciples on their last night, he said, we are commemorating the Passover just like Moses commanded the people to do as they were fleeing from Egypt. Again, from Exodus, um, I'm sorry, Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. If you'll notice on the screen, a picture of Christ on the cross, but also the Paschal Lamb down below, because Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God who was killed, sacrificed for us. And then Matthew 26, 27. Jesus took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. As you are drinking the fruit of the vine, remember the sacrifice of Jesus and the blood that was shed for us. I'm going to ask that our praise team come up to the platform. They are going to close our service out because Matthew 26, 30, what Jesus said, I am not going to eat this bread or drink the fruit of the vine with you until I do it anew in the kingdom of heaven. And we know that Jesus is going to, to lead us in the, the marriage feast of the Lamb when we get to heaven to be with Him. And all the sacrifices that we have made will matter little. But then verse 30 says, When the disciples had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so the praise team is going to lead us in a closing song. And this will be our dismissal. But I ask that uh, when the song is over, if you would wait until you get outside of the sanctuary before you begin uh, visiting with other people. Because we want to 
to meditate on what Christ has done and how he has set us free from the law of sin and death, from the slavery that we have been in because of our faith, because of our sins.